0: is being prepared for you. And we are in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll be in verse 7, 1 Peter 3, 7. And again, too, if I can't stress enough to you, that informational meeting on the 31st and saying this tongue-in-cheek will be very informational. So uh, we are encouraging you to uh, stay, whether you're a member or not or anything, this is not a members meeting, this is, if you care about CBC, you'll be there, and I'm not, we're not, you know, take that as you may. All right, I understand some of you may do stuff, but we're just trying to lay out for you where we believe uh, God is working in our ministry, and then how to be faithful moving forward, so July 31st. All right, let's look to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get into the Word. Dearly Father, thank you again that you are the Ancient of Days. That we don't have to wonder what we are to do. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And with that anchor, with that cornerstone, we are just thrilled that we don't have to wander in the darkness looking for truth. That it is your word that shines its light into this dark world of how we are to live, what we are to do. And then by by your Spirit's power and your Spirit's help, we live accordingly, giving you all the glory not of anything we do on our own, but with our eyes focused on you. Today, only Father, thank you for that great work of redemption that when we were dead in our sins, you made us alive in Christ. May your praise always be on our lips. Guide us now. We desperately need it. As your word is open here, dearly Father, may it penetrate deep down through the joints and the marrow, all the way down, dividing the heart helping us to know how we are to live. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So, let me just give you a little bit of a background of this sermon. There's going to be a couple rabbit trails we run down. There's times where you need to eat rabbit. And so there are some trails we need to head down here to get the full, as I understand, as I believe, the full understanding of this passage. So we're going to be in chapter... 1 Peter 3, 7 here, this is a three-part series on one verse, all right? And so, we've been in the last several weeks, we have literally had now, we're going to have six sermons on seven verses, all right? And you're going to go, is it just because Tim doesn't know what to do with verses eight through whatever that he's just stuck here, hopefully he can figure it out? No, I really do believe these, these truths that Peter is talking about here are so foundational. Number one, they're foundational for your spiritual walk. Because in Ephesians, Paul reminds us that the marriage relationship, the husband and the wife, are literally a picture of Christ and the church. And so whether you are married or not, for you to understand how Christ and the church plays out, you need to understand marriage, because marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. And if you are a saved individual, you are part of the church, and your interaction to Christ is going to have very similar characteristics of Christ's interaction with the church. So that in and of itself should pause us to go, hey, think about this for a moment. We need to think through it. As well as, I truly do believe that we as a, for those in this room that are married, for those in this room that um, are, as I like to call it, single and ready to mingle, and those who are not even ready to mingle, all right, you're going to be interacting with married people, all right? You're going to be interacting with different people. We'll get to that in a second, But here's what I believe is key. Preventative maintenance. Think through this for a second. Most of the time, people, especially in the very intense relationship that marriage has, they either respond in two different ways. One, when that service engine light soon comes on in their marriage, they pull out their black electric tape and they stick it over it and they ignore the topic. So we're just not going to talk about the issue. So let's ignore it. And then we'll just pretend it doesn't exist as it's going to go away. Because remember, if you ignore a problem, it doesn't exist, right? No, that's not the case. So we just ignore it in the relationship. And then you can be on the other extreme of it that literally says, well, it hasn't fallen off the rails yet. Like, we're not going to go see Pastor Tim until the papers are filed, and then we're going to come and talk to him about these things. And so you live your life with the idea of, well, there's still oil in the engine, It hasn't seized up yet. Why change it, right? And so what happens is God's Word speaks into us these things, and so we have two responses to it. We'll deal with that later. Or what I'd like to do, by God's grace, is over these sermons here, is to slowly peel back those areas through the Holy Spirit for you to say, hey, let's start working on these things, each one of you. Again, remember, we don't sit here pointing the finger at our spouse. We're saying, what does God's Word have to teach me As we go through this so let's look at the text here real quick and we're going to chase one more rabbit trail first Peter 3 7 likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered obviously the title of this is going to be a godly husband part one now for a word of caution for those of you who are single, for those of you who are single and not even a male, you might say, this verse does not apply to me in any way, shape, or form. All right? And so we have to handle the, what do you do when there's a passage of scripture that is written that if we could call it, you are not the primary audience. All right? So like he's speaking to husbands, you could literally go, we all know what a husband is, at least in the biblical understanding of a definition of a husband. All right? We know what that means. All right? And so then what do you do when the text is not specifically speaking to you? How do you function in this? Well, as we look at the text here, there's certain words that pop out. Things like show honor to the woman, and it goes on. And you have to, if you're reading through 1 Peter, you're going to go, oh, I've seen that word honor before. Hopefully you remember when we saw that. If you go back to 1 Peter 2, verse 17, there's literally a list of commands that Peter is giving, and he says, honor everyone. All right, so this concept of honor, everyone, he says, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor, Honors twice there. So as we work through what does it mean to honor, whether you're single or married, you have still been called to understand this word honor. Now, all of a sudden, Peter is going to take that same concept of honor and apply it into the marriage situation. And then not only that, as Peter is starting to build this, The other passages of Scripture here are going to remind us that this idea of honoring is not something that is only for husbands. It is for literally all of us, but it is played out in the marriage life. So while those who are not husbands are still called to honor, we have husbands who are called to honor, both working in the different context of this idea of what does it mean to honor one another. And also, too, when you see a passage that is not specifically speaking to you as a primary audience, if you struggle with that, I would encourage you to remember one of the beautiful pictures of the church is the church body. If you're part of the body, you're part of a group of people that are living out what God has called this group of called out ones to be in the world. And as you're doing that now, Paul talks about it, there's, and he breaks down the church body of hands, feet, eyes, and all these other things. Each of you play a different role. Turn real quick to Hebrews chapter 3, and I, the writer of Hebrews here reminds us all of kind of, you want to call it, marching orders or how we are to live. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. The writer of Hebrews said... Well, let's go start at verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be any, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Summarizing that, he's saying, watch out, lest an evil, unbelieving heart lead you in, causing you to fall away from the living God. And then he gives in verse 13, but here's how to fight that. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Literally summarizing what he's saying is there, one of the reasons when you gather together is if you're starting to see a believer, a fellow follower of God, going and falling into the seedfulness of sin, the body part is to call them to repentance. This is Matthew 18 being played out here, as we rub shoulders with one another. And if we're truly honest with ourselves, probably once, and that's probably only happened once in your marriage, have you ever complained about your spouse to someone else, all right? In any way, shape, or form, whether it was under your breath or whatever. But what happens is, and instead, what we do is, do we ever encourage one another to go back and start working on that relationship or do we just let that go? You know, as as I always like to call them, there was a red flag there that nobody caught, all right, because usually we're so self-focused that when we see a brother or sister hurting, do we gather around them? Or do you go, oh, you think your wife is bad, you haven't heard about, you know, and we just share commiserating stories. This is where I really truly do believe, even if you are saying, I'm single, Tim, and there's n- I don't run into this. I can guarantee you, somewhere along your life, you will run into a married person who is struggling. All right? Or if the Lord ever allows you to get married, you will have you will go, I wish I remembered what Tim had said back then, because all of these things are for your betterment to help you understand rela- relationship. Because what we're going to see here in First Peter, These are commandments that Peter is giving us from God, and if you truly love your fellow believer in Christ, you will love them enough to speak the truth into their life in an encouraging way. So, all right, those are all the rabbit trails we're going to run down now, and so we'll get to the start of the message here. So in this opening illustration, I'm going to give you a little sneak peek into my early years of marriage. So as a young married man, I had, I had sure had a lot of ideas of how marriage was supposed to be and how my wife and I were supposed to interact. I had a lot of ideas. Very few of them were good ideas, but I had a lot of ideas. And so growing up with two other brothers, uh, we, we literally lived in a house, and we would have said this, that we, had, we lived in a house of all guys, and there was mom. all right. And so mom was just one of the guys. And so in our mind, as we're living this, I get married and all of a sudden, I've been living with guys all of this time and then you have this thing called a wife that is now with me. And one of the things I love doing with my brothers is when it snowed out, we played football outside because you could really hit them hard because you had your clothing on and stuff like that and the snow, you know, it was soft anyway so you could just really hit them hard and that's what we did. in Pennsylvania, it finally snowed. As soon as it was enough snow, get on your stuff and play football. And so again, married. Remember, I have a lot of ideas. Very few of them are good. It starts to snow. And what do I think? I ask Allison, hey, what do we do? Let's go out and play football. All right. And my wife in her, I would almost say naivety goes, sure, let's go along. You know, we're not going to go for a walk and enjoy this stuff. Let's play football. All right. And so we're out there ready to play football. And I tackle her thinking lightly. She fumbles the ball and doesn't bounce back up and get on it, and immediately as a husband, I mean, these are one of those aha moments, right? I realized real quick, my wife does not play football like my brothers. And that's about all I got out of that, understanding, like, what's the deal? She doesn't pop back. Like, come on, you're supposed to do this. And in my mind, still, not understanding this is my wife, not a just female guy version of my brothers. And so the struggle that was there was truly, alive and real, and there was a lot to learn. And as we walk through this passage, you're going to see there's a lot to learn as we go through this. So point number one, and we'll be in this for three weeks here because there's a lot in here. Point number one is likewise husband. We're not going to get too far, by the way. Likewise husbands. So when you see the word likewise husbands, you have to understand you also, if you're reading through this point, number, verse number one of this is likewise wives, and then we have another likewise husbands. So all of this then is building on a future or a past statement of fact that's giving us a likewise wife and a likewise husband. you following this is his line of argument here. And in his line of argument, we need to make sure we're clear because back in chapter 2, verse 13, we're seeing that... P- Peter gives us the the marching orders of being subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, and then he's going to go down through how these human institutions are going to interact. But the big picture, all of these things are done because it is for the Lord's sake we do this. And that the Lord has given us what to do. The Lord is the one that gives us authority of how we're to interact with, government how we're to interact with masters and slaves how we're going to interact with one another and then it's going to go how husbands and wives interact all of these things are marching orders by God given to us as the church and it's all done so God gets the glory not for your own sake summarizing that in a in a way and so at the end of the day here's what we're going to start to see like that husbands one day will give an answer to God for the way they have led those God has called to have follow them. Because likewise husbands, just like the wife's character, is to point the disobedient or, or husband that doesn't know God to Christ, so the, the husband's character and what he does and how he leads is going to point those who call to follow him to Christ. And we're going to see all of that here as we move forward. So I want to play this out real quick. There is a really cool pattern in the Bible that we, I think we need to make sure we understand between the interaction of husbands and wives and the Trinity. Now, there is, this probably could be about 500 sermons on how the Trinity and husband and wife relationship interact and Jesus' time here on earth and what we can learn from that, but I'm going to summarize it as quickly as I can. The Bible lays out, whether it's in Ephesians, whether it's in Peter here, that God has instituted husbands to be in the authority authority role, and in the authority role there, he is given a helpmate called a wife. All equal in value, yet different in role. So the husband is to look to God. The wife is to look to God through her husband's leadership. But the wife is accountable to God. The husband is accountable to God for his wife and himself and God. So we have a lot of responsibility there. Equal in value, yet different in role. Husband and wife both created in the image of God, yet they have different roles. Now we go to the Trinity. You have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. From the Father, we have the idea, this is the way it's played out. The Father begot the Son, and then from the Father proceeds the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so as we think through these things here, we see equal in value, yet different in role. And I'll just play this out in the role of salvation. God the Father sends His Son to redeem. Jesus dies on the cross, is raised again, and redeems a bride to Himself. But the redeeming of the bride is worked out by the sending of the Holy Spirit. Remember, He says, I must go and send the Helper. And then the Helper comes and redeems that bride back by opening the eyes of the bride, that is to be redeemed back to the Father. And when that bride is completed, God the Father is going to return, and Jesus Christ, to return and gather that bride back. And we see this beautiful picture of each one of them playing a different role in salvation, yet equal in value, yet different in role. Jesus, when he was down here on earth, would say over and over again, I did not come to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. It was not as if Jesus did not have a will, but he came down and he submitted himself to the Father's will. Not because he was any lesser in value, but yet he was a different in role. And the Holy Spirit was sent at the right time. And all, even the Holy Spirit's job is to glorify the, the Father. Even Jesus was down here on earth. In John 17, I have not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, that you, God the Father, would see the glory. I've glorified your name down, and then he says, and then when I die, glorify me as well, so that they all may see your glory. It's all about him. And this is the part that we play out. Yes, there's different roles, and we can chafe at our roles. We can chafe at, well, I don't want to be this, or I don't want to be that, but you're going to go, but those are your God-appointed roles, and doing your God-appointed roles is what brings glory and honor to Him. Just like a hammer can say, I don't like the fact that I'm a hammer, but the hammer was designed for its role. And when the hammer is used as it was designed for, there's amazing things. I don't know if you've ever got a chance to spend... Um, time with a carpenter, but the uh, square, there's so many things you can do with a square that you just start to look and go, wow, I didn't even know that was possible, all right, because you know the master in the hands of that knows how the tools to be used. With all that being said, let's talk about likewise husbands, husband. All right, now being a husband, I want to make sure we get this off the board at the beginning being a husband is not a life of privilege but a life of responsibility being a husband is not a life of privilege but a life of responsibility there's an old story that goes like this a man uh, one day through a hot desert was riding a camel he was sweating and the camel was struggling and his wife was sweating walking behind him struggling and someone came up and said why is your wife walking and the man looked and said, well, because she doesn't have a camel. And he had forgotten the fact that, you know, wait a minute, he's the one riding the camel, like, think through this here, big guy. You know, and Because he thought being the husband meant I just get all the privileges. No, there's far more than that. So I want to remind us of four traits that we talked about a couple of weeks ago of a husband. I just want to review them. And these four traits, again, Wilson Uh, Brings them to us, but I want to I want to make sure we address this as guys because as we look at these What does it mean to be a husband? What are the traits of a husband to remind ourselves men? We have a tendency to respond usually in this way when someone throws something out. I'm a failure I'm never going to live up to this and then we walk off You know with your head down kicking the stone and be like I might as well give up I'm never going to be this way because in our minds we're hearing I will never reach this level And so why try what I would love for you men? as we go through this, to realize it's time for you to rise up and to do what God has called you to do. It's very easy to fall down, but the character of a man is how he gets back up. Because anybody can fall down that doesn't take any skill at all. But what are you going to do about it? Are you going to rise to the challenge, or are you just going to sit there and say you're a failure? Because if that was the case, if you just take the failure mentality, you will never succeed in anything in your life because all you're going to hear is, I'm such a failure, I'll never be good at anything. And I would say that is called lazy sin, right? You're just being lazy. You're going to go, I'm I'm terrible, I'm never going to be whatever. I'm going to go, you're being lazy right now. Let's just be honest, all right? It's no different than there are certain things. If you ever want to watch this play out, especially in a young guy, watch when they have a task. I'll I'll pick one myself. So we had this task when I was growing up, we had, to take this, we had to take our garbage out and we threw it in one of the fields. And the skunks and the, everybody else really knew that's where we threw our garbage too. and we'd plow it under every spring. And my parents always would send me out at night to do this. You know, that's where all the alligators and everything else are there, right? And the things that go bump in the night. And it was amazing to me. I had the skill to do it. I had the strength and the stamina to do this but I complained, and you would have thought that they were asking me to climb Mount Everest without oxygen when they asked me to do that. And I could also rationalize why the trash didn't need to be taken out at that time. Let's wait a little bit, right? And then I was the king of excuses. So men, I don't want you to hear this and say it's time to make excuses. Men, it's time to rise up to the challenge because each one of us will face, if you want to call it, fire in some way in our lives and real men run to it the coward runs away and so what are you going to do right now all right as we walk through this are you going to be a godly man and run to the challenge or hear it and run away and just be like i'll be the guy on the radio someone has to you know call in backup right no god has called you to this so here we go the four traits again just to remind ourselves number one the trait of a husband the husband has been given the authority by god and what, what does that mean? The right to make decisions that impact others. Authority is means you have the right to make decisions that have lasting impact on others. And this authority is used for the edification of those around them, not the Lord over. So that place of authority is saying, how do I create an environment where our family flourishes? Not the buck stops here with me and all of you are subservient to me. No, it is a place of authority. So we would call it true servant leadership and what we mean by that is leading is actually leading is your service that you're doing right there leading well for the betterment of those in your family next we see sacrifice sacrifice is the idea just like Christ laid down his life forever for others Christ laid down his life for others taking it on himself the issues in the home are yours and yours to deal with. Like Christ, when he sacrificed his life for his bride, he was the one that took it on the chin. Another way of putting it this way, in this idea of sacrifice, men are supposed to be the wall of their home, the treasure the wife is inside the castle. It is not because the treasure cannot take care of itself, it is because the wall is designed to protect the treasure. You can, we, we spend a whole lot more time on these in the past, but I'm just reminding ourselves next, we see responsibility That the husband, you were responsible for your family, you're responsible for your family, you represent your family. And I gave you the example, in a counseling situation where a wife comes in and she has run up the credit card bill and the husband sits there and says, she did this, she ran up the credit card bill, it's her fault. Uh, You pause and when you look at the husband and say, yep, but you're responsible. Your wife's guilty, but you're responsible. And he would go, what do you mean by that? And i go, let's just summarize this here real quick. How, or did you create an environment that you were so out of touch with the finances in your home? How did that even happen? That you were so out of touch with any of the financial things that you were not able to step in and help out? When you saw that things were getting a little out of control, how did you not step in and help? How did you allow a situation to happen because you're responsible? No different than when a ship runs aground, even though the guy's at the helm, who's responsible? The captain of the vessel. And then lastly but not least, initiative. The idea of initiative is is seen in many ways, and we talked about it, remember, on the wedding ceremony, one of the most beautiful things is where the husband actually goes and initiates the conversation. As the dad is bringing the bride down, the husband is the initiator. He goes and he claims his bride. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife the initiator is what's happening here just like Jesus took the initiative to come to us so the husband takes the initiative in the family he is continually looking for areas of things that need to be dressed and caring for them the husband always sets the tone for the family I want to be clear on that the husband always sets the tone that even if the husband is sitting there as a passive bump on a log he is setting the tone and what is the tone being a passive bump on a log all right, the husband is always setting that. Whether the husband is never around and is never involved in his, in his family and the wife is picking up the pieces, that's still the tone that he is setting. He is always leading. He's either being a bad leader or a good leader, but he is always leading. So that means then, husbands, think about this. You're not too far away from the root of the problem if your home is not in order. Where's the root of the problem? You. All right, like think through that for a second because it's easy. Remember, the, the, what we have been given through our sinful nature of Adam is to do what, men? Blame who? Eve, right? It's her fault. And what does Eve do? Following our example, say it's the serpent's fault. What did Adam do? He set the tone right off the get-go for that conversation. Whoa, don't blame me. Is that her? And what does Eve do? Following the tone, it's him. These are the things that God has called us to So saying that, now we want to take all of those things I said there now start building it back into the passage here. Remember, verses 1 through 6, we walked through this, was to show how God uses a godly wife to bring about permanent change in an unsaved or disobedient husband. Remember, that was verses 1 through 6. This is how, if you want to bring permanent change in your marriage, wife, here's how you address it. Why? Because you trust God. And then verse 7 now. Peter's going to tell us that a husband, with his attitudes and interactions, how they should be with his wife. But it's interesting, though, as Peter says this, the last part of the verse should cause each one of us who are God-fearing men to pause here, because there's a very strong warning at the end of this verse here. You don't do this; your prayers are not well, your prayers will be hindered. Hindered. Think about that for a moment. There's, you have to pause here. This is big time stuff. This is not you know, just things aren't just going to go the way. There's a, the way you interact with your wife impacts your prayer. And we're going to talk about that two Sundays from now. of what is, what is Peter even doing? Because how do you go from, if I'm not interacting with my wife, wife well, how does this impact prayer? What does that have to do with you? So we're going to spend some time digging into that. So when it says, likewise, husbands, that word husband, is just dripping with meaning, dripping with a lot for us as men to wrestle with, that you are a husband if you are married. So now, besides likewise husbands, the next word is live. You are to live with your wife. This idea of live with your wife, that word live there in the original language literally means to dwell with in an intimate, personal way. This word live here literally it's an intimate Personal knowing, that's why you get the next phrase there, live with your wives in an understanding way. This idea of live in an understanding way, that live there is a very personal, intimate living. This is not a cohabitate concept. This is a personal pursuing of an intimate way of living with your wife. Now, just to make sure we're clear on this so we don't forget, you husbands did not marry your wife so that you could have a live-in maid. All right. Your wife is not a maid. It wasn't like you were sick of doing laundry so you got married. All right. Those are not good reasons for getting married. So if any of you are doing premarital with me, do not say I'm tired of doing my own laundry so why am I getting married. All right. That is not, you know. When I love asking guys, so why are you getting married? That is not a good reason, right. any way, shape or form. Now, that might be good reasons to have kids. we we'll are just saying that on the side part. But that's not a good reason to be getting married. As my, as my son would go, why? You guys just have us doing all the jobs you don't want to do. I'm like, well, you, someone has to teach you, right? And so as we break through these things, we start to realize that a wife is not that. Now she is our helpmate, but she is not one of the guys. Remember back in an illustration, I didn't learn that. I'm still trying to learn all of that, all right? So as we walk through this, at a very basic level, this phrase here of "live with your wife" means that husbands live differently with their wives. They do not li- as they would have lived with when they were one of the guys. They are living differently. You live differently with your wife than you would your male roommate type of deal. She is your wife. All right? You may say, "Tim, why is that?" Why are you pounding that point? I'm going to say, guys, we have to remember that she is your wife. She is not one of the guys, because you know this. Remember the days in junior high, when you, there was a if there was a girl that you somewhat liked. What did you do to show that you liked her? You went up and you punched her on the shoulder. All right, and she's going, what just happened there? Because what do guys do? And they they bounce off of one another if they show that they like each other, that they're friends. All right, that's what friends do. I mean, guys interact with one another differently. There's a, a, a quick little side story. Guys sit around and they like to poke at each other with things. Guys give each other nicknames. There was a little boy not too long ago that split open his toe, and his name was Tommy, and so at the workforce, guess what they call him? 2 toed Tommy, all right? And, and he's taking it as a badge of honor that he's got this kind of... And so this is what guys do. But what happens, though, then, is guys, when we say live with your wife, that does not mean you take that same thing and then just bring it home and start doing that with your wife, right? That is, she is different than the guys. This is what it's literally saying. Live with your wife in an understanding way. You should not be surprised that your wife does things differently than the guys do. She should, because at the very core, she is different, and we'll get to that in a second. Now remember this, women, as we have learned, and I want to summarize this because I really do believe this is a phenomenal truth that Peter reminds us, and I want to summarize verses one through six now as we start to launch into the guy part. Women, remember, the greatest rebuke to your passive husband is to live a godly life. It is not to fight strength with strength. Or disobedience with disobedience. But to fight disobedience with a gentle, quiet, fearless, trusting in God heart. Remember that. Because everything in your life is going to, everything in this world is trying to tell you that's the exact opposite way. But God, in his word, says, trust me. Live that. So men, I put this again in my notes. Men, your wife is not one of the guys. She is your wife. And what comes with that is a way of living that is to be learned and understood. I want to make sure we're clear on this because sometimes we can forget when God created man, he formed man out of the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. This was totally different than all the other creations. All the other things were come forth. This one, he takes dirt and creates man. And then after that, he goes to create woman. What he does not do is take a neutral body that was a man and just throw in feminine parts and say we have a woman. What he literally did was from Adam's rib, took the rib and made a completely unique, similar but yet completely unique woman. She is a woman from head to toe. Everything about her is woman. There's not, you can't take parts out and then just say we don't have a woman. Everything about her, her mind, her emotions, her will, all of these things is separate, but yet at the same time, not different in role, equal in value, but separate then from a guy. And we need to make sure we're clear on this because our world is so confused about gender, thinking that gender can be just done to little tiny bits and pieces, that if you remove that somehow, no, God's word is going to tell us, which we'll study even greater, that she is a woman from head to toe completely different than you as a guy. And you are called, as Peter is saying here, understand them. Pursue after them. Point number three is, husbands, understand your wives. A husband is called to understand his wife. It's a call, and this call here is a call of obedience to God, giving God the glory. This understanding your wife is a command. Notice that it says, Likewise, husband, live with your wives in an understanding way. In order to understand them, this word here, understand, means a pursuit after, a knowing of the wife. And this here again, Remember, one of the biblical principles is when God commands something, it's something that is, He's commanding because it does not happen naturally. And so, this is not something that is happening naturally. That's why He must command. It, all right? Like, there is not a command to sin because what do we do naturally? sin all right and so when there's a command there the command comes in as if you want to call it as a biblical shock to wake you up and say you're going to have desires that are going to be contrary to this but here's what the command says you do this and because the command is there we know now that this is actually what god wants you to do because if you ever wonder what does god want you to do like literally point number one is start with what he says do this or you could do it in the negative don't do this like thou shalt not murder that means don't kill someone all right so Think about ways of bringing life into a situation, not death. I mean, as you just summarize these things, this is what God calls us. And so now in this command here, we see, men, that this will take work. This is something that, because of our sin nature, is going to be a struggle that does not come naturally. 1 Peter 1, please turn there again. 1 Peter 1, verse 14. This is Peter calling us, therefore, there. For, there In the passage, it's interesting. Remember, we went all the way to verse 13 before we had the first commandment in this passage here. You know, Peter says in verse 13, prepare your minds for action. We see the command there and then the commands follow. But verse 14 says then, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Real quick there, meaning that there's going to be some former passions of ignorant living that you are to not be conformed to. But as obedient children, what are you to be? Verse 15 tells us, you are called to be separate, holy. So also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So literally what Peter is reminding us is in this command that there's going to be struggles to get to know your wife, because your natural struggle for us as guides is going to be selfish. We know that. There's our own selfish desires come out, and this call to not be conformed to those passions of selfishness Because if you're selfish, you will not want to understand your wife. You will try to make your wife, like I was very ignorant, one of the guys. Like if only she could come down and understand me, instead of me saying, I need to pursue her. And this is that balance that we must have. Because if we do things for selfish gain, we're not doing it at all. All we're going to do is have more of a struggle. And as we start to understand the sacrifice that God had on our behalf, which you're going to see later on, for us to understand these things, in First Peter chapter 3, we're going to see Jesus as our example of sacrifice, Jesus our example of not being selfish, of being one who pursued others. You're going to start to see as a husband is to follow Christ in this way, you're going to see this is one of the ways that we fulfill the command of living in our wives in an understanding way as we start to realize what self-sacrifice really is. Now, even building on that, there's one other passage I want to look at real quick. 1 Thessalonians 4, 4 through 5. 1 Thessalonians 4, 4 through 5. Uh, Let's start in verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Interesting. What do we see? Honor in this passage. And holiness in what First Peter is talking about, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So literally, he's saying the Gentiles conducting themselves run by their passions. A believer conducts themselves in holiness and honor. Think through this here for a second. So how is a husband? Supposed to allow this pursuit of knowing his wife not to be run by his own lust or his own desires, the answer to that is through self-control. When you are pursuing after another person to know them, and you're pursuing after your wife, you're taking your own needs, and you're saying, I'm laying them aside sacrificially, putting those things that your natural desires that you would have for self, saying, no, I'm going to show self-control here and focus on my wife and her needs. I would also lay out to you that one of the ways to holiness and one of the ways of living a life worthy of honor is through self-control. Now, the self-control, what I'm not talking about is a legalistic, I can do this, just grind your teeth and go, come on, we can do this, as if somehow I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control, that God brings. Because any guy worth his salt in a short period of time can do anything he wants, but... Only God, God does not get the glory and you pat yourself on the back. But it's not lasting. It's only when we trust God in his word that we see the fruit of the spirit of self-control being brought about through the life of a husband. So when it says likewise husbands, we talked about the breadth of what does it mean to be a husband. We talked about the idea of living with your wife in a very intimate way, getting to know her And we talked about living in a way of an understanding way, the pursuit of getting to know a spouse, the pursuit of this journey. But I really do believe next week we're going to spend, I'll give you the three points, they're all W's, of next week's sermon, because I really do believe one of my biggest struggles, if you go back to that original example of me trying to play football with my wife, uh, I did not understand at that time What does it mean that she is a woman? Because we see that in the text. What does it mean that she is my wife? And what does it mean that she is the weaker vessel? And I think these three words there have been used and abused and confused and all these other things. And you might go, you're literally going to talk to us about what a woman is, what a wife is, and what the weaker vessel is. And I'm going to go, yeah, Genesis talks about that quite a bit. I mean, we get a whole narrative, historical narrative there of what's going down in the garden. All right? We don't have any other narratives about he just created the birds, he created the winged animals, he created all these other things, and all of a sudden it's just, whoa, let's stop here. And there's a whole lot we need to learn, and there's a whole lot we, I would even say as a church body, as we start to realize these things, it starts to place things in proper order. Because we're doing all of this because we truly do believe that when we live the way God has created us to live here in this world, he is the one that gets the glory. So what did we learn today? I know we chased a lot of rabbit trails. I know we went down a lot of different things, but I do believe I'm trying to, by God's grace, lay the framework as we move on to what does this have to do with a husband? How does a husband pursue after his wife? Because the call of a husband is to understand his wife. And this call is a call from God. And this call should be undertaken with joy through the power of the Spirit. This is not a burdensome thing, guys. This is something that we should revel in and take joy in. This should not be another task that you check. This should be something that you're continually pursuing after your spouse in this way, because as you get to know her, literally her name as woman means taken out of man, all right? And as you get to know her, you will also get to understand the beauty of God, and how he gets the glory through your marriage. There's a lot at stake here. All right, now, no matter where you are on the spectrum, a single, married, divorced, or whatever, or struggling, all, right, all of these things here, as we study marriage, gives us a better and more beautiful understanding of Christ in the church. So don't run from these things. Don't sit there and feel like you're defeated. Don't sit there and feel like, well, you know what, I, I've already messed things up, there's nothing I can do. Here's the thing I want to give you. As long as you still have breath, there is hope to continue to live a God-honoring life. It doesn't matter. Your week could have been a disaster. all right? You're not defined by that disaster. If you're a follower of Christ, you're defined by a child of God. Repent and don't sin anymore. Literally, repent and sin no more and pursue after Christ. The mercies of God are new every morning, and we look to Him each day for them. Now, our past can help us understand our Struggles that are there, but our past does not define us. Christ does. We need to make sure we remember that. You may have been a wreck of a husband and never even know what it's like to pursue after your wife. But by God's grace, each day you can wake up and say, "I know who I am, and I know I need Christ." And today, by God's grace, we're going to pursue after knowing my wife. Satan wants you to live in. God wants you to live in the life that He has given. For you to live it. And so, laying this out for us, this is a journey as men, you will walk all of your life. But we don't do it alone, we do it together. Let's look to the Lord and pray. Dearly Father, thank you for these these moments here. There's so much that needs to be said. There's so much that we, by God's grace, have the privilege to do. And so, dearly, Father, may we run to you. Run to you alone. Because it's only in you that we live and we move and have our be. You have sovereignly placed us in these relationships for such a time as this. So may we be faithful. In your son's name we pray. Amen. If you could stand with us as we sing.